0: Welcome to The Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week.
1: Where they're bringing in this 95% mortgage scheme... It's really just dealing with a symptom of the problem rather than addressing the
2: the fundamental root cause. There's an increasing number of people turning to self-employment. They're just as entitled to get a mortgage and own their own home as anyone else's. And that lenders should adapt and understand that there are different ways of making a living.
3: I wouldn't be too worried about the mortgage market. It is very robust. Even during the worst of the COVID times, we found that for people with bigger deposits, with greater amounts of equity, there were still good rates.
0: This week, along with Witch Money experts Stephen Maunder and Gareth Shaw, we've got an episode for you on the mortgage market. Now, with the number of deals picking up again after the pandemic and some very low rates turning heads, we'll be discussing whether now's a good time to get one and how much it could cost you, as well as how the pandemic has affected eligibility and what changes could be on the horizon for rates. We are Witch. At the tail end of last month, there was a somewhat landmark moment for mortgages when TSB offered the cheapest fixed rate mortgage we've seen since. 2017. And in the last few days, Nationwide and Platform, which is part of the Cooperative Bank, have followed suit, all offering rates under 1%. To get these deals, you need to be remortgaging and borrowing a maximum of 60% of the value of your property. And we'll get on to 60 to 95% mortgages later. But for now, Steve, if you're borrowing at this lower loan to value level, is it worth trying to snap up one of these sub 1% deals? And how significant is this really for the mortgage market?
3: Well, the return of sub 1% mortgages is great news for people who are buying with bigger deposits or people moving up the ladder with significant equity in their homes. There is one word of caution, however, and that's that the headline rates might not be exactly all they seem. We're really seeing banks battle to offer the cheapest rates. But what that means is they're also whacking up their upfront fees. And some of the cheapest deals we've seen are now coming with fees of £1,500 or even £2,000. This actually means that borrowers could be a little bit better off taking a deal with a slightly higher initial rate, but with a lower fee. So it's really important to just look beyond that cheap initial rate and look at the full cost of the deal before rushing in.
0: So as we've said, TSB's sub 1% rate is for remortgaging, but it's also offering 1.09% for people buying a home, which again seems a very low rate. Nationwide and Platform have followed suit with sub 1% deals this time, though again, we are still in this relatively low loan-to-value bracket of up to 60%. And if you're borrowing 90% or more, it's actually not looking so good, is it, Gareth?
4: Well, it's certainly more expensive if you've got a smaller deposit to put down. And that's quite understandable, really. A bank is taking on much, much more risk if you only own, say, 10% of the property or 5% of the property versus 40% of the property. You know, if the value of the property that you're mortgaging against were to drop dramatically or even just by 5%, you know, there's the risk you could be in negative equity that if you defaulted on your loan repayments and the bank tried to sell the property to recoup their loan um, they might not get all of that money back so they charge you a premium uh, to lend to you uh, when you have small deposits because of that additional risk that they're taking so that is why there is such a, a difference in cost between somebody who's got who owns a big chunk of their property already you know 60 um, only having to borrow at 60 percent loan to value versus somebody who's looking to borrow at 95 5%. Now rates in the kind of higher end the small deposit end have been throughout the pandemic expensive and and we're going to talk about this later but you know in the 95% market for a long time completely non-existent you know that banks just retreated from that market and at 90% they were they were getting very expensive i know this Intimately, because I'm buying a new house at the moment and have been exploring the mortgage options. What do we do with the equity that we built up? We've probably got probably own about twenty to twenty five percent of our flat at the moment, but we are going up. So, you know, we'd need to borrow more money. Looking at the different loan to values, you know, we started this process back in February, and for a ninety percent mortgage, we were being, you know, the proposal was that we were going to be charged, what, 95% borrowers are being charged now. So rates certainly have come down. The best two-year fixed rate at 90% is now 2.88. And and when I was looking back in February, that was around, uh, I was finding rates around three and a half to 3.75%. So it certainly got cheaper. And at 95%, the best rate that we found again at a two-year fix is 3.39%. So as we've seen this trend for you know cheaper mortgages at the the low loan to value rate, we are starting to see those rates come down at the higher deposit level. So this trend of mortgages getting cheaper uh, is certainly kind of permeating all of the different types of deals that are out there.
0: And part of this trend then, to help out the people who are trying to get on the property ladder with small deposits, earlier this year, the government introduced a new 95% mortgage scheme. Steve, how does this new scheme work and how has it landed in the mortgage market so far?
3: Well, as Gareth uh, rightly says, during the pandemic, we saw 95% mortgages pretty much dry up entirely. I think Even as recently as this March, there were only five deals on the market and they were very hard to get. So what the government has done is it's tried to boost that market by giving lenders uh, some encouragement to offer 95% mortgages. So what the Mortgage Guarantee Scheme does is it involves the government underwriting part of the mortgage. So if the borrower who buys with a 5% deposit defaults on their loan, the government will take on some of the financial pressure that the lender would usually face. And this has really encouraged banks to bring back 95% mortgages. So the scheme launched in mid-April, and here we are at the start of June, and there's 130 deals now available to choose from. So it's really soaring. We've also seen lenders begin to offer 95% mortgages again, but outside of the mortgage guarantee scheme, So they're saying, we're happy to take on the risk ourselves, because we can see that this market is really beginning to flourish. As Gareth has said, this is starting to result in downward pressure on rates. As Gareth says, we were looking at rates for around 4% on a 95% mortgage, and we're now seeing that come down as more lenders start to offer these deals. So it's still not quite as good a time to get a low deposit mortgage as it was before the pandemic. But things are certainly going in the right direction for first time buyers.
0: So, despite the efforts of this scheme, are aspiring home buyers still finding it too expensive to buy? An interesting report from The Guardian found that single buyers in their 30s on the UK median wage will still be locked out of buying in around half of local authority areas in England and Wales, which, for reference, is for men on a wage of around 34,500 and women on around 30,250. And we've been speaking with Dan Wilson-Craw from campaign group Generation Rent, and he says 95% mortgage repayments could even set you back more than your rent.
1: Where they're bringing in this scheme, uh, this 95% mortgage scheme, it's really just dealing with a symptom of the problem rather than mm. addressing the, the fundamental root, root cause. And it's not really going to help the people who, who need the most help, who, who are least likely to buy. With a 95% mortgage, there's a higher interest rate. It's obviously a lot larger loan. So the cost of the interest on the mortgage is much higher than if you were on a 10% mortgage, a slightly lower interest rate. So that means that your monthly repayments are going to be much higher. And often, uh, you know, if, if you're taking a 95% mortgage, the mortgage payments are going to be higher than the rent on an equivalent home. While that might work for some people who are able, you know, who, who have the income to, to make those repayments. If you're already struggling to pay the rent and struggling to save, then you're not going to benefit from that 95% mortgage.
0: Gareth, if you're a first time buyer struggling to get a mortgage, say you've got a 5 or 10% deposit, how could another scheme like shared ownership or the help to buy get you on the ladder?
4: If you've got some savings, if you've got enough to to get you to explore 95 or or 90, I would say that should be your first port of call, really. Getting a traditional residential mortgage, if you can find the property that kind of meets your desires and it's at a level where you can afford to borrow the money, is, is a really straightforward way of getting yourself onto the property ladder without entangling yourself up in some complexities, because these schemes are really beneficial to people, but they do have a a drag on you because of some of their features. Mm. Um, But there are two schemes that can help get people onto the property ladder. The first is the help to buy equity loan scheme. Now, this has been revamped since um, April this year. This allows you to buy a new build property with the combination of your deposit and a mortgage. And also a loan from the government and the government will lend you between 15% and 40% of the property price. You only get up to 40% if you're in London, up to 20% uh, in England and Wales. And and essentially what that helps you do is uh, put down, say, 25% deposit, the combination of your deposit and your loan, and then get a mortgage on the remaining 75%. Now, as we've been talking today, the benefit of that is you get an extra boost to your deposit, which should help you hit that final hurdle of being able to afford a property, you also get a cheaper mortgage rate because you're borrowing at 75% LTV, where as we know, rates are much, much more attractive than at 95%. So, you know, what I was saying just then is if you can get a 95% mortgage, fantastic. But if the monthly repayments are going to be way, way out of, of what you can afford or prohibitively high, then this could be an option because your mortgage repayments are going to be going to be lower as a result of having uh, a lower interest rate. And this loan is interest-free for the first five years, and and then you get charged interest on top of it. Um, There are also price caps on um, the value of the property that you can purchase using the Help to Buy Equity Loan Scheme. And that varies depending on uh, the region in which you're buying. So in London, for example, the maximum value of the property you can purchase under this scheme is £600,000. In the Northwest, it's £224,000, £400, very specific. In the East Midlands, it's £261,900. I'm not going to reel them all off. We've got them all online at which.co.uk forward slash help to buy, along with a calculator as well that might help you understand um, what might be affordable to you. It's actually very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but this is a uh, could be a useful scheme for you to use. On the other hand, you've got shared ownership. Now, this is where it's kind of also known as part buy, part rent. It's a scheme that allows you to buy a share of a property and pay rent on the rest. Um, and, and that's really help, designed to help people who have got small deposits and low incomes get onto the property ladder. So what you do is you, you buy a stake in the property. It could be anything between 25% and 75% of the property. And you buy that from a, a housing association. And then you pay rent uh, up to 3% on the remaining share. Uh, you typically need to put down about 5% deposit but that's only on your share rather than the whole value of the property and then the pay you pay the rest of your share uh, with a mortgage and i guess the advantage here is that you you don't have to get a really large loan so you put down your 5% deposit say you're buying a property worth 200,000 pounds your uh, going to buy 25% of it and rent on the remaining 75%, Um, you would put down your 5% deposit on your share, which would be a quarter of that £200,000. So that would be Two and a half grand. If my mental arithmetic is right, please step in and correct me. I think so. You're buying your share is 50,000 pounds, 5% of that is 2,500. There you go. And then you get a loan for uh, the remaining 47,500. So that's not a large mortgage, and that's what you pay interest and you make your repayments on. And then you pay rent on the remaining 150,000 uh, pounds, which again, as I say, is capped at three. Uh, percent per annum.
0: So I actually got onto the ladder, so to speak, using the help to buy scheme. And a friend of mine is just about to go through um, with a buy um, on shared ownership. But I have got a burning question. How much do these schemes really help you get onto what, how can I call it a moving ladder? Are they relying on the property going up in value for you to go onto your next property?
3: Yeah, I think with help to buy, that is absolutely the case. Because you're taking out that 20% equity loan or 40% in London, you're going to have to pay that back when you come to sell the property, which can really stop you progressing up the property ladder and moving into a non-help to buy home because you'll be losing that extra chunk of value in the home. So what you really need is you need in that first five years, ideally, before interest starts clocking up on the equity loan, you need your house to rise in value quite significantly. And we found that isn't always the case. Uh, Last year, I did a Freedom of Information request to Homes England, who oversee the Help to Buy scheme. And after a long battle, they basically released data to us that showed one in seven people who sell on a Help to Buy home actually do so at a loss, which leaves them in dire straits, really, when they're trying to progress up the ladder elsewhere. I think it was the National Audit Commission also did their own report into Help to Buy, where they found the majority of people who use the Help to Buy scheme could have actually bought a home without the assistance of the equity loan. So there are questions around whether it's really helping the people it should. And the government has sought to fix that and alleviate those questions a little by bringing in the price caps Gareth mentioned from April this year. I think with shared ownership, it's a slightly different debate because shared ownership is allowing people to buy a stake in a property that they otherwise might not be able to afford, especially if they're buying somewhere very expensive, such as London. But the problem with shared ownership is those costs adding up. So service charges, rent, mortgages. And what that really means, you start getting into a philosophical debate when it comes to shared ownership. Is it better to own a share of something? than to not own something at all. And I think it's a slightly different debate than Help to Buy in that respect. There are some issues with both schemes and the government is now going to bring in this new first home scheme from the end of June, which will allow first-time buyers to get up to a 30% discount on new build homes. So there really is this kind of patchwork of different schemes that the government's trying to put together to help people get onto the ladder while also keeping property prices going and keeping them nice and high through the stamp duty cut.
4: Lucia, I think the other thing is you as as that owner of that property to figure out about taking your second step becoming a second stepper as it's known. If you were to remortgage to repay that loan, would that then just put you back at a 95% LTV? And it goes to the point I was saying at the top of that about kind of explore the traditional route first. And also the point Steve's just made about the National Audit Office is like, could you have just done it with a a kind of a a non- assistance scheme uh in the first place and and i think that's and and property value will come into that you know uh, how much your property is worth when you come to remortgage is going to be um kind of critical uh to figure out how much equity do i actually have in this property once i've borrowed more to repay the loan that the government gave me so Mm -hmm. it's asking a lot as well you know that 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 those schemes attract first time buyers in a brand new property that's never been lived on lived in you know it's a it's a really enticing alluring prospect for people and, and some people may have may have leapt in with their heart rather than their head and then you know a few years down the line found that actually the complexities of the scheme when they want to move on when they want to take the next step kind of tangle them up in knots so yeah it. It's definitely something you should spend some time working through. I would always say, you know, anything to do with your mortgage, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later at the end, is professional financial advice. Mortgage advice is absolutely critical to ensuring you can navigate your way through, you know, these thousands and thousands of deals and and the scenarios that each individual property throws up Um you know, a good mortgage broker will help you decide what the best route is for you to to take your next step.
0: We are WITs. Now, as well as the amount you're borrowing, there are, of course, other factors playing a vital role when you apply for a mortgage deal. It could be trickier if your circumstances change or you don't appear to have a stable income. And given the year we've just had, if your finances have been disrupted by the pandemic, along with all its uncertainties, your eligibility could be called into question. And according to Andy Chamberlain from IPSE, a not for profit organisation for the self employed, this group of people have been hit particularly. Particularly hard.
2: I think lenders like to see really stable income coming in so that then you know they can calculate how much a loan they can give based on what those repayments will be. Look at the applicant's monthly income and make a decision based on that. Now, when you've got someone who's self-employed, they don't have that same regularity of income. And even if they have had a stable income over a long period of time. Lenders will be concerned that that could stop at any minute. And the problem is that for some freelancers, actually, they can prove that they have very stable income over a long period of time. Indeed, some of them might argue, in fact, my income, if you look at the last five years, I've had pretty regular income coming in. And that might compare favorably to some employees who, although they may have had income stable for the last three months, haven't had such an easy time of it in the period before that. But nevertheless, just Purely by dint of the fact that they have this type of income, that they are self-employed, there are some lenders who just don't want to deal with them.
0: So are banks falling short for the self-employed? Andy also stresses the need for lenders to adapt.
2: We would say that... there is an increasing number, though that has, we have seen a blip in the last year because of coronavirus, but over the trend over the last two or three decades is that there's an increasing number of people turning to self-employment. They're just as entitled to get a mortgage and own their own home as anyone else's, and that lenders should adapt and understand that there are different ways of making a living, and that increasingly the, the idea of that very stable, employed job-for-life income, that, that is being dismantled a little bit in the modern labour labour market. And lenders should understand this because there's actually quite a a valuable market for them out there. And the lenders that get to the front of the queue and understand that are going to do very well out of it, I think.
0: Steve, is it the case then that many banks simply won't lend to the self-employed? And are any banks leading the way here or getting to the front of the queue, as Andy puts it?
3: Yeah, unfortunately, it is a really difficult time to get a mortgage if you are self-employed with lenders being particularly risk-averse at the moment. And unfortunately, when lenders become risk-averse, it is people who don't have very straightforward incomes and people who have small deposits who are worst affected. Um, As Andy says, there is an argument that lenders do need to do more to help self-employed people and freelancers. But there does seem to be a lack of confidence that that's actually going to happen in the short term. It may actually take some third party interference in that market, as we've seen with the mortgage guarantee scheme, perhaps from the government or the Bank of England, to really give lenders that confidence to uh, adopt those lending practices again. Um, Some are pushing ahead in the area. Uh, The most notable one is Santander. So last month, Santander changed its lending policy for self-employed people allowing them to basically discount the earnings that they had in the last tax year. So obviously when COVID has been at its worst and people have suffered, real impact on their earnings earned a lot less money, that could really stop people getting the mortgage. But Santander have kind of become the first major bank to say, it's okay, we'll use your other accounts from previous years and discount that one. If you are self-employed, I think even more so than ever, it's really important to take that third party financial advice, speak to a broker. This is a really difficult market to navigate and a good mortgage advisor will be able to look at everything for you and really see whether now is the right time for you to get a mortgage or whether it may be that you have to build back up a little bit uh, in the next year or two before you'll get accepted.
0: And if you're self-employed and since the pandemic you've accepted a government grant or you're anyone whose circumstances have changed since the pandemic, say you've been furloughed or taken a pay cut, how could this affect your chances of a good mortgage deal?
4: Well, it could significantly. I think as to the point Steve was just making... A mortgage broker is absolutely essential for you if you have had some income insecurity during the pandemic because no lender and no deal is the same and the criteria for each will be different. Now, from personal experience... Back in February, when we were looking at our mortgage options, I'm fully employed, my wife is self-employed, she has been for the last five years, our pool of lenders, our choice was incredibly narrow for for a number of reasons. There were many lenders that simply weren't taking self-employed people at all, even if they were a second. Uh, applicant. So me as the primary applicant, as the kind of PAYE steady earner versus my wife who uh, was self-employed. They just weren't considering any applicants like that. When we did find some lenders that were, and then I told my mortgage broker, actually my wife has had two self-employed income support grants, Boom, we lost another couple of lenders as well, who who were simply not taking anybody on uh who'd taken the grant, or or, or at least not anybody that had taken a grant um in the past six months. So each lender will have different criteria. I think it's really positive that uh you're starting to see change and some of this risk aversion is uh ebbing away, and lenders are kind of recognizing that look, if somebody is back in work full time, they can evidence that. Let's not penalise them for the challenges of the pandemic. But I think it will still be choppy for uh, people who have had uncertainty over the last years that have lent on government support. Um, You know, you're you're not going to have the benefit of the full market available to you. You're not going to have the The option of the thousands and thousands of deals, you'll have a narrower pool. It's just that that pool, I think, now is getting bigger.
0: And finally, then, what's on the horizon for mortgage rates? Recently, we've seen some of the best offerings in years, but could they be short lived? Because I did see some concerns in the media this week that if inflation rises this summer, mortgage rates too could increase. So, do you think we'll continue to see cheap deals, or could now be the time to lock in a fixed deal while it lasts?
3: If you're borrowing at less than 90% loan-to-value, it is it is possible to get a great mortgage rate at the moment. We've already discussed those sub-1% deals. That means it's certainly a good time to lock in a deal. If you've got a smaller deposit, again, as we mentioned earlier, this extra competition may result in rates dropping a little in the coming months. So there's no harm in waiting and seeing a little bit. In terms of rates rising I really wouldn't be too concerned about this. Like Right now, you can get a mortgage at 80% loan to value with a rate of below 2%. So even a little bit of upward pressure in the wider economy would still mean the cost of borrowing would remain very cheap. Now, the property market has been massively inflated by the stamp duty holiday. And I think it's reasonable to have concerns that we might see prices stagnate or even drop when that ends. But I wouldn't be too worried about the mortgage market. It is very robust. Even during the worst of the COVID times, we found that for people with bigger deposits, with greater amounts of equity, there were still good rates. And it does feel, thankfully, that the mortgage market has come through relatively unscathed. It's rebuilding back. And we're starting to see lots of great deals come on the market and lots of great rates too.
0: Thanks so much to Steve and Gareth for joining us today and thank you for listening to today's show. As always, if you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned today, please drop us a line in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at Which Money. And for more on mortgages and home buying or selling, visit which.co.uk forward slash property. This episode of the Witch Bunny podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly, with additional support from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver.